So we need to reach a lot of people quickly. And media has completely changed today. The only thing people watch live on TV is sport. Your behavior is usually tells more about you than what you say. Really go back to the core of what the internet was, right? Which is that you own your digital rights and that you can connect with people without having to go through a filter that can shut you down or, or, or make decisions that don't work for you. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the podcast, Crypto. Some of you will switch off right now knowing this is gonna be a crypto podcast. I urge you not to. Crypto.com is one of the biggest platforms out there. We've had Eric Anziani, the COO, on our show. And today we've got Steve, and I'm gonna say this correctly. And today we've got Stephen Kalifowitz. He's the chief marketing officer of crypto.com. It's a company I'm fascinated by. He's got a great backstory. Ever wondered how much money it cost to sponsor the Staples Arena, now called the crypto.com arena? What about being the title sponsor of Formula One or the title sponsor of the fastest growing sport in the world, UFC? If you wanna know how those deals came together and how crypto.com are staking their flag in the ground as the dominant highest value branded crypto business, then let's cue the music and get stuck into this one. Vault Hill is the world's first human-centric metaverse that's opened its doors for brands and entities to launch their presence in the metaverse in only 48 hours. This is the fastest activation ever and the first time ever any metaverse has offered this. Upon this activation process, brands will receive free virtual land in Vault Hill City and can give life to their metaverse presence by buying buildings in the Vault Hill marketplace and deploy it on their dedicated VLAND. Then brands can customize their land using unbounded creativity. They can display their own NFTs or upload different media, logos, or digital creations to start to capitalize from their digital assets. Go check out vaulthill.io. So we need to reach a lot of people quickly. And media has completely changed today. The only thing people watch live on TV is sport. Your behavior is usually tells more about you than what you say really go back to the core of what the internet was, right? Which is that you own your digital rights and that you can connect with people without having to go through a filter that can shut you down or, or, or make decisions that don't work for you. Hi everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and Najahi Events. More about those awesome sponsors, lovely sponsors later. Crypto! Some of you will switch off right now knowing this is gonna be a crypto podcast. I urge you not to. Crypto.com is one of the biggest platforms out there. We've had Eric Anziani, the COO, on our show. And today we've got Steve, and I'm going to say this correctly. And today we've got Stephen Kalifowitz. He's the chief marketing officer of Crypto.com. It's a company I'm fascinated by. He's got a great backstory. Ever wondered how much money it cost to sponsor the Staples Arena, now called the Crypto.com Arena? What about being the title sponsor of Formula One or the title sponsor of the fastest growing sport in the world, UFC? If you wanna know how those deals came together and how Crypto.com are staking their flag in the ground as the dominant highest value branded crypto business, then let's cue the music and get stuck into this one. Thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. So Steve, thanks very much for coming to join us on the podcast today. It's good to have you here. Now, another Crypto.com member of the team in the house. We've had Eric Anziani with us before, and it was great to chat to him and learn about what's been going on with crypto. But I think there's a few things I want to discuss with you. So maybe we just break the conversation down. First of all, tell us a bit more about Crypto.com. We know this brand now, okay? It's out there everywhere. Every time I put any form of sports on, it's smashing in my face, this blue and white logo. I'm a Formula One fan, so it's there. UFC, I can see it everywhere. You seem to be dominating the world of sports, marketing, branding, and advertising. Is that is that intentional? I'm sure it is at that kind of money. 100%. Uh, but, you know, it's 
it's really about introducing the company and introducing the industry. Um, you know, we, we run our business. I joined crypto.com because of how we run our business. Um, you know, from day one, the company is focused on having a regulated platform that focuses on trust and security. And, you know, because that's what we need. As you're creating a new financial industry and a new financial platform and a new financial technology that we believe the world will run on very soon, you know, you're not, it's, it's not like social media where it's just like a nice to have and it's cool and fun and we can be playful. Like, this is people's hard-earned money. And we need to be able to show them and demonstrate to them that we are a trustworthy company. You can do that by building really solid products, which we do. But then there's a whole communications uh, angle of how do you speak to people who are not ready to come into the industry, but are curious about it and are interested in it. And you know, in 2020 or 2019, 2020, the narrative around crypto was very much it's an industry where drug dealers and money launderers and all those people, bad people and bad things, they use crypto. Not true. Of course, you know, in every industry there's bad actors, but you know, crypto is probably the worst uh, form of money laundering you can do because the whole basis is it's traceable, mm -hmm. right? So you know, we sort of looked at it and said, look, we are a legitimate platform. We are a legitimate business. We are adults who run big businesses and we're building a big business. And we need to communicate that to people. And we also need to change the narrative of the industry. When I joined the company in 2020, there was a perspective on, or my perspective was that the industry was not in control of the narrative. The narrative was being written by the haters, by the naysayers, which for every new technology, that's what happens, right? Nobody likes the change, right? And so they right away throw shade on the new thing. And it's easy because it's new. But the industry and certainly our company had evolved to a point where we were grown up. And as a company and as a product, we had product market fit, right? We were seeing our growth move really fast. And so the focus was on how do we introduce ourselves and our company, but also given the name crypto.com, how do we introduce the industry in a way that communicates to everybody that, hey, the industry has grown up. It's no longer a bunch of hackers trying to come up with a new monetary system. It's actually a legitimate way to do business. And so that's where sponsorship came in. Because when I work with these various partners, I don't just throw money at them, right? Um, it's about, it starts by trust building with them, right? They're, they're letting me share space with them. And so by being next to Rolex and Heineken and, and be in this prestigious space of F1, really important. Same thing with UFC, right? When, when we talked to them and, and they were like, oh, maybe we could do something together. And I said, yeah, I want to replace Monster. And, and they were like, that's never happening. Uh, but then they said, we have this new placement on the shirt. And I said, wow, that's amazing, right? Because UFC is going to allow Crypto.com to be the first fight kit partner. That, that says something. When you, when you enter the sport, when you meet the fans in that way, it's, 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 it's a whole other thing than just making a TV commercial and hoping people watch it. Right? TV commercials are, by definition, interruptive. And I was really looking for opportunities to be integrated. Right? And so by, by the sports integrating us, it communicates something. The other piece of this is we need to reach a lot of people quickly. And media has completely changed today. The only thing people watch live on TV is sport. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no other reason to watch live TV. Mm -hmm. But sport, everybody watches and there's something sub for some people it's conscious but for most people it's subconscious that i and millions of other people are experiencing this right now and and you can't experience it later right you, you can't you don't want to see the the amazing game or match the day after you need to see it live otherwise you're just catching the, the who won mm -hmm. maybe see some highlights so the opportunity to introduce crypto.com in a culturally relevant way to specific cultures right was really important. And, and that's that, that other element that sports marketing offers, that sport today is fundamentally different from what it was about 10 years ago. And it's, and I'll give myself and Kyle Bunch, uh, a, a guy I used to work with at, at RGA, we gave a talk at South by Southwest in 2017, where we basically said, what's gonna happen is Amazon and Apple and companies like that are gonna start broadcasting live sport. Mm -hmm. That's where it's gonna go. And Instagram, and the likes of Instagram are going to change how people interact with sport. And we've seen that happen. What's changed is that 
And what we said was going to happen was starting to happen then is that there was the rise of the casual fan. So like when I was growing up, if you didn't know the entire history of a team and be able to name every player who's playing and everyone on the bench and everything, like you weren't a real fan. Yeah. And 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 you didn't have the right you couldn't just casually watch a game. But today, you know, you load up Instagram and like if there was a, an interesting match or someone had an amazing play or like you know someone did like this incredible dunk, you know, lots of people want to be part of that cultural moment but in that second, right? There's a lot of people who just watch the highlight reels. And that's all they want to see. And you know, kids today, they say don't have an attention span, so they'll watch a two-minute highlight reel. Right? There's House of Hoops, and there's all of the you know Bleacher Report. Their whole business is in creating these highlight reels of what happened that night that people watch and they get excited about it. To be able to reach those people, these in, being integrated into the sport is the main way to do that. Right? So that when I'm there and all the replays and the promos for the next match or the next race. Right, I'm in all of those because there's so there's millions and millions of people who are just watching those pieces. So that was the strategy of how do we, in effect, uh, generate what you said, which is everywhere I look, I see crypto.com. It was about being integrated. It was about reaching the masses and doing it in a culturally relevant way that made people take a step back and say, wait a minute, this industry is behaving the way big established industries and companies behave. I should look at crypto differently. Mm. And when I look at the narrative in the media today, I don't really hear so much about, you know, drug dealers and money launderers. I hear we need to in regulate this industry. How will this industry be regulated? How are we going to make it safe for everybody to use? And and that's a great place to be. When you look at the adoption of crypto over the course of recent years, mm -hmm. it's growing at an exponential rate. It really has. But there's, there's, there's people out there that are opening accounts and throwing a bit of cash on it, not really knowing what they're doing. And I know to me, I believe you should put $500 on an account and trade it if you're going to you know, get into the crypto space. Because We're not giving financial advice to everyone <laughs> at home. <laughs> but I, no, I, I believe that, not you. The reason I believe that is I don't believe you learn when you read a book. That's right. I think you just sometimes have to have some money. You know, you can go and watch people play blackjack. If you go and watch them play blackjack, you get so you can get all excited. But the moment the moment you put your money down, or roulette's probably a better example. <laughs> all of a sudden, you got five hundred dollars. What number? What number? What number? So you 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 have such a vested interest, and anyone that's ever had a stock portfolio will know what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's right. But getting out and reaching people, which is the bit that I'm interested in for this part of the conversation is really interesting to me, being essentially omnipresent as you are, but you're starting to become omnipresent in a space where a lot of those other competitive um, markets, uh, also not markets, but competitive brands uh, are trying to get into that space too. Essentially it's global sport, isn't it? You know, it's a sport that's got a global reach. Is it is it becoming more difficult to stand out than it was when you first started doing it now? Have you had to think about how you approach it differently or is it still so early that you're on a, a very simple path? Um, you know, amazingly, most of my deals are a year old. Some of them aren't even a year old. Um, so That's wrong. That can't be that. I feel like you guys have been around forever. It, I mean, I... I was in Miami for the crypto.com Miami Formula One and you know, sitting there with the Formula One teams and it was like, we launched less than a year ago and here we are in Miami and look at this, right? So it's October, like, you know, we announced the crypto.com arena in November of last year. Shut up, really? Yeah, so, so it's, it, you know, and the, the, my partnership with the Sixers, the NBA team, you know, like, this year's season hasn't we we announced it just before the start of last season so like that's not even a year old so th there's there's a lot of you know afl i was just at the afl grand final uh, down in melbourne you know that partnership's not a year old we announced that in december of last year so on the one hand um you know it's still early days but i feel really good about our, our portfolio i think we've covered the world and we've gotten all the properties that we were really interested in and we're bullish on. And it's a balance of mainstream as well as somewhat non-mainstream. You know? And so like you're saying, there are people who have a propensity towards trying new things. Mm -hmm. And for me, when, you know, our first two deals were big deals were Formula One and UFC. Mm -hmm. And besides everything else that, that, that I talked about before, you know, Formula One is a relatively new sport and UFC is a very new sport. Uh, earlier on in my career, I was a TV producer. I worked at HBO, and you know, the live boxing was big. Hold on, hold on a minute. I got to stop you. Formula One's not a new sport. 
relatively speaking. I relative mean, to what? Football. Okay, so Formula One's been going on for 70 years or so. Yeah, but football goes on for Ever. football teams for a hundred years, okay. and and there's like a connection to the team, right? I mean, you know, there are people here to talk to me about like, yeah, like it's tribal, you know. Yes. Like my team is here. Formula One, in that sense, isn't isn't like it's always been like a, a secondary sport in that sense. Like it wasn't a national sport the way that people. Okay, see so football. for those of you that are listening to this podcast right now and can't see what's going on in this room, there's a couple of Brits in the room. Formula One fans. So. Yeah, who well, I'm kind of gently <laughs> po pointing. Did, did you agree with that? Partially. Do you agree with that, Alex? Partially. Yeah. <laughs> oh, see, we it's, see we see Formula One as the biggest sport because it's international. You see, okay, you see brands like Manchester United, Chelsea, all that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, but. For the vast majority of people in the UK, they don't necessarily support the biggest teams. They support, of course. You know, Stuart supports a team that you won't even know where it is or he, how to He told it. me about it earlier. Okay, yeah. what's it called? I don't remember. There you the go. Name. <laughs> That's how small it is. <laughs> That's how small Did, what is the name? Leighton Orient. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So, sorry for interrupting no, you, no, but no. it kind of really interests me when you say that because it's I'm trying to learn because sponsoring the, the, the crypto.com arena that that was a huge financial deal as well, though, wasn't it? Sure. So that was seven hundred million dollars over ten years. Twenty. And, over twenty and years. Seven hundred is reported. It's, it's oh, not, but, can you but give us the numbers? Is, that, that, that's what's in the press, so we can leave it at that. Uh, we usually don't talk about the details of our deals. You don't. You don't but talk. It, but about it is. But it is a twenty-year deal. Why don't you talk about the details? No, it always seems to be that like whenever, no benefit. whenever there's a big sponsorship deal that takes place, and not not crypto, but. You know, a brand is now the training kit partner for Manchester United or, you know, the, the you've got various brands that are all over the shirts now. In the olden days, it was just one here, you know, shop. Yeah, now they're all over. And, shoulders yeah. and, you know, traveling kit and home kit and stuff. Um, it's discussed or, or, or that information is shared, yes, in the press, that that deal is a 10-year deal and that's, that's how much was invested in that deal. Mm -hmm. um, Nike and Adidas are obviously paying their money out as well. Why is that and those numbers being secret important? Why is it important to make it public? I don't know. Well, I could, the same question. So, 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 why, why is it not important to make it public? Because it's it's a deal between two parties, and yeah. it doesn't matter. Like it's 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 it, the structure of a deal is quite complex. The contracts are hundreds of pages, and you know to be discussed in broadly in the press, it's going to miss the nuance that's everywhere. And they're only going to gravitate to, to the shocking numbers or things that will eventually be misinterpreted. Okay. And it's secondary to the, it's interesting to people who are doing the deal, but. Well, let me tell you as an investor, okay. When it was a net, when the announcement came out in the press that you guys had spent, and this is what I remember. So again, forgive me for getting the numbers wrong and the, and the dates wrong. Sure. It was it was a ten year deal. It was seven hundred million dollars. So to me, it was twenty seven, years. Okay, but to me, it was a ten year deal. Okay, and it was that which is wrong, but okay. it's a seven hundred million and seventy million a year. So when I heard that, okay, I felt a great deal of comfort with that brand. Mm -hmm. I was like, if they've got the money to do that kind of business then I trust them. And I'm sure there'll be other people that go, if they've got that kind of money to do, that kind of business, then what are they doing with my money? Okay, so I get I get the flip side for both. Sure. But there's a lot of people out there that want to know because there's all kinds of inherent risks in, in investing in crypto with the volatility, but they want to know that that exchange they can trust. That's right. Yeah, it's just like I want my peace of mind. Like if I make a bad decision because I've chosen the okie dokie one, two, three coin and it's gone up and then down and, you know, my bad. But I want to know that where my money, the exchange that holds my money isn't going to steal from me, isn't going to rob me and it's going to, you know, it's going to be a secure place. And that branding to me and those big deals make me go, ah, okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. Is that your intention? You've just described my brand strategy. Yes. Hey! <laughs> well, no, and it's and it's. I've always been a big believer in, you know, a brand. A brand's behavior is usually like a per, human beings, right? Like your behavior is usually tells more about you than what you say. And so, you know, even before we launched our, our big campaign with Matt Damon and and all of that, you know, it was very much like. If we want to be trusted, then let's and and be seen as the adult in the room, which we know we are, then let's behave like that, and let's do deals that are only at a certain level, and that only project who we know we are, 
uh, you know, don't be another small logo somewhere. Every, every partner you ask, they will tell you, Steve said, don't do logo slaps, right? Don't just be another logo out in the field. Everything we do, it needs to be something special. It needs to be a really interesting integration. And if you can't offer that, then I'm not interested in you. Okay. You don't have to slap a logo anywhere. You can <laughs> before before you leave today, okay, I'm going to convince you to sponsor my podcast. <laughs> okay. Can we talk about that? Um, yeah, maybe after they turn off the cameras. Oh, oh there we go. Well, there might be some, there'll be a cliffhanger at the end of this episode. <laughs> okay. So I so I kind of get I I get that I get these big these big sports I get the you know live sport the whole aspect of that I get that mm -hmm. young people holding on just to a few seconds and attention spans being short so you got to catch them there and all that I get all that I think and, and the adults who are watching the, the you know the really young people who might not be fully into the sport and the adults who are watching the full yeah. broadcast right you know I I've, I've had people say oh you're just after young men and I say why do you say that and they say oh because those are the sports you go after and I'm like. I don't know. There's a lot of women who love live sport, right? Live sport is the way to reach the the, the easiest way to reach a cross section of society quickly, mm -hmm. um, and it, and it really is about reaching everybody. Yeah, I agree. So, you've got this strategy. You're a smart guy. How did you get into marketing? What was your journey? What got you excited about it in your earlier years? Tell me more about that. Um, you know, I've I'm I'm somewhat uh, impatient and um and curious and i get bored with things easily um so i guess my broader journey is i i just wanted to produce television and and make content and, and tell stories and you know i somehow made my way to hbo um, i went to film school in, in nyu and you know at hbo i had an amazing experience but i was also in parallel always interested in technology so when it came to making content I was really interested in the actual making of it, right? And so like when I was at NYU, we, with a friend of mine, we made a documentary and we shot it on video. And everyone around us, even the professors were like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, we don't have money. <laughs> it was literally that practical. And, and we were really interested in what we could do with video. Right, because with film you had to split, you had to develop it, you had to splice it. You couldn't see, but you know, with video today, I mean, it's as obvious as you can imagine. But twenty plus years ago, you know, people were like, no, 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 video is like the the ugly stuff. And we actually like we were like in the NYU Film Festival, we were selected as the, one of the top films, and they actually converted our video to film to be able to project it at Lincoln Center. And I remember saying to 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 the school, we're like, no, 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 no don't do that. Just give us whatever money you're going to spend to convert this video to film. Just give it to us because we're in debt and we need to pay pay back debt. And they were like, no, 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 no. We have to do this. We have to project it on film because there's no video projector. I'm telling you this story because I've always been interested in the technology side of it, right? And trying new things. And even if you know the establishment says don't do that, there's usually something interesting. And we were able to do things in this film with video at the time that film couldn't handle. We were able to edit it in ways that just wasn't possible with film. And so that was sort of like a driving force for me all the time. So fast forward to when I'm at HBO, I was there for about six, six and a half years. And around 2005, I was handling new media. And that's what it was called at the time. And it was broadcasting on phones, podcasts, putting stuff on the internet, what we didn't know, but do something. And most people weren't interested. We had just gone through this incredible transition from standard def to high def. And now you're telling them, put it on these little phones. Right where the the height of technology was the Motorola Razor, where it's like a oh, flip, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. small phone, a flip phone. The, the smartphones weren't a thing, and you know YouTube was just had just rolled out. I think two thousand five or six, they got sold to Google, and everybody saw that stuff and said, "This is garbage," right? Like we produce high end, high quality programming. That's what people want, not this garbage that people make at home and upload to YouTube. Who's ever going to watch that? Um, I looked at that and said, that's super interesting. I want to be part of that. And I tried everything I could to get people at HBO to go in that direction. Uh, the people I had access to were absolutely not interested in it. Uh, and so I left. I left the film industry completely and I went over to a marketing agency. Uh, and I'd never thought of marketing at all before that point in my life. Um, and then I went to this marketing agency called RGA, um, who had been a film studio prior. Um, and so, and that was my content. I knew RGA as like a, a, a film studio. And so like they have Emmy awards and, and Oscars that they, that they won for, for various projects that they worked on. 
Um, but they had converted themselves from being a film studio to a digital ad agency. At a time, you know, 2007, like there wasn't a real digital advertising economy yet. Uh, it was just just growing, right? Social media didn't really exist. And, and so I went there and that's where I learned everything about marketing. And, and that's where I learned how to apply a skill set of being able to produce things, uh, move large scales of people, but also tell stories because marketing at the end of the day is telling stories um, and scaled sales. And so from there, that, that started my, my career. I, I moved to Singapore with them, opened up an office for RGA in Singapore, moved on to Twitter, where I handled brand strategy for, for clients throughout Asia and Middle East. Um, yeah, and then brought me here. And did you think five years ago you'd ever be involved in the crypto industry? I did. You did? I okay. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, you know, I, I've been watching the crypto space for a while. Um, and to me, it just makes sense. Right, like like digital money, right? Programmable money, right? Like you, you want to see what technology offers and figure out what are the smart applications for it. Mm -hmm. And throughout my career, I've been able to play with things before they were, you know, ubiquitous, right? And so the opportunity to come into the crypto industry when I did was amazing because it's still early, it's still early days. We haven't found the ubiquitous applications where they haven't been adopted and. And I've been lucky to be there. Like when I was at Twitter, like when I went to join Twitter, people were like, what are you doing? What is this company? Like, what, you know, how are you going to make money? Like, you know, and Twitter has gotten to where it's at. Sorry, state of affairs today, but that's a story for another day. But, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to be there and also watch all the naysayers say, no, 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 and you can't do this and you shouldn't do this. And, and that's not how it's done. And on and on and do you, do you get some satisfaction out of like sticking two fingers up to them and say all those naysayers and say yeah you know no you know i i, I really I probably in this in this conversation I, i've been talking about them too much I, I usually don't think too much about them okay it's it's I, I mention it in part because i think it, for our conversation prior to starting the film mm -hmm. there's a lot of people who you know it holds them back you know, and, and they focus too much on the naysayers. I, I literally don't care about the naysayers. Like they, they have a role to play, mm -hmm. right? And, and not everybody should just adopt the new thing because the, the new thing, it may have promise in the future. You know, I look at something and I imagine what it could be, but there's a long road to getting there. And so you should have critics and you should have people who are constantly raising the bar for you. But I don't pay attention to them because my excitement comes from the building. And, and I don't know that we're going to succeed. You know, success is not a straight line, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's ups and downs and ups and downs. And the excitement and the energy comes from solving problems, right? And figuring it out and being excited that the path isn't clear. Because if the path was clear, it'd be boring. When you, when you consider your career and how it's evolved and, you, and you're involved in the kind of numbers and the size of the transactions you're dealing with now, mm -hmm. does the size of the transaction or the size of the brand or the the business that you're talking to does that really excite you does that you know inspire you motivate you give you a kick completely yeah i mean you know it wasn't just reaching lots of people it was partnering with some of the best brands in the world learning from them working with them um, meeting their customers and and them requiring me to maintain a certain level Right? and constantly raising the bar for each other. And they're usually you know, really interesting people over there um, who think about their own brand in a really special way. Um, and so to be able to partner with them is amazing. When we look at Formula One, you see for many years in the olden days, you had tobacco advertising. That was your kind of like your Philip Morris and your British American tobacco. They were the, the big boys, RJ Reynolds, I think, and all that kind of stuff. They, they, they were the, the, the brands that were on there. And then you used to have a lot of alcohol brands as well on there, you know, your Heinekens and all different types of beers and stuff, and mm -hmm. whatever was there. And I can understand why they don't want tobacco advertising. Um, I don't understand the alcohol stuff so much. But when yeah, they're the, driving and the. Yeah, well, yeah I don't <laughs> That's I why they advertise 0%. Yeah, but I, I, think it, I think people are wiser than that. I mean, people aren't stupid. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. you know, people yeah. But when you look there, it almost, there, there was a wilderness period that Formula One went through with a lack of sponsors, where they'd had kind of like a deluge of sponsors for a period of mm. time. And then it went a little bit quiet. You, you'd notice it on the cars. I've got friends that work in Formula One and we used to talk about it. I'm like, why is there nothing on the side of the car? I said, like, oh, well, I don't know. You know <laughs> clearly I haven't got any money because <laughs> we ain't getting a bonus. That wilderness period they went through. And then you obviously had the the, the Americans take over from Bernie Eccleston uh, and, and take yeah, the Liberty sport. Media. 
And then Drive to Survive became a TV show. Drive to Survive came out a couple of years ago. I think five. I think they're in season, well, the first I think series in season was five. five years ago. I think they're in season five now or four. How, how important for you as a marketeer, looking at the numbers of the, the, the increased numbers of kids coming through, watching it on the back of Drive to Survive, how important was that to you to look at as a marketeer for Crypto.com? Um, it was extremely important, uh, the role that Drive to Survive, not because of Drive to Survive, but and, and maybe if I can pr provide some nuance on an answer I gave earlier, is that F1 has gone through a resurgence. And for a lot of people who are getting into it now, they're first coming into it, right? I mean, America is the is the biggest growth market for the sport. And, and you're right, what you said earlier is that it's an extremely global sport, both in terms of where it takes place and the audience, right? And every race is a big event and it's, and it's a prestigious event. And so for us, we, we weighed two things. One was, you know, we wanted crypto.com to be presented and be in the company of high-end brands. That's how we see ourselves and that's how we run our business. And even the crypto.com Visa card, right? It's a beautiful metal card. You know, when I've people- I've got one, green one. It, it's, I have a black one. I'll show, I'll show you here. Why have you got yeah, a black one and I've got a green? You, you, I didn't know there were different we, colors. This is, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No, so, so the black- Oh, I'm not happy the, about that. What color's your one? So the-, the hey, Have I got a green one? So, you know, it's a beautiful card. It's a beautiful product. It's a metal card. You know, when you hand it to people, it, it just says something. Eh, people know my name. Um, I just want to know who's doing it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just don't show the numbers on the back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a four. <laughs> okay. But, but, got, why have I got a green I'm really upset now. Why have I got a green one? Maybe, maybe we'll talk about I know some people. Maybe. Uh, yeah, okay, good. You know, do you know people that know people? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, like there's an element of just running our business and carrying ourselves in a certain way that matters and that F1 projects that. Right. When you go to the paddock, the whole experience of the F1 mm -hmm. and that it brings together, you know, when you look at the sponsors, they're primarily tech oriented and it's a very, you know, it's an incredible sport on so many levels, including, you know, from a tech perspective, the, the engineering is just unbelievable. And as a pseudo geek, like I, I love that part of the sport mm -hmm. almost more than anything else. So, A, we wanted to be part of that, but B, yeah, Drive to Survive, it became a cultural thing. Right. It wasn't just that it was driving, pulling in younger people. It became it, it turned the sport into the thing to check out. And where I was going before when I said, you know, UFC or Formula One is that people were now opting to watch those sports when otherwise they'd be watching a football match, mm -hmm. you know, either American or, or uh, European football or the normal football <laughs> uh, as we as, soccer, as, <laughs> soccer, <laughs> soccer, as we call it, um, you know, and so we wanted to tap into um, people who are willing to try new things, right? Like, like when I was saying before, I was a TV producer at HBO when we did live boxing. And even there, we're, there were there, there's a contingent of us who were trying to push, like, we should be looking at UFC. Um, but UFC was, you know, it's like barnyard, whatever. Um, it's the fastest growing sport in the world. Mm -hmm. People love it. And it's a truly global sport. Every fight is an international event, right? People around, millions and millions of people around the world tune in. And, and that's, that's incredible. And to be part of that and to be part of something that's growing and to be supporting that, to be supporting the fighters uh, and to be able to connect with those fans is huge. So, so cultural relevance is, what, is what probably... I, what I recognize is as your brand building exercise gets bigger and bigger, I look at your traditional competitor, not in your industry, but the, 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 the fiat world, you know, banks mm -hmm. and the stockbrokers and that kind of stuff. And those ones that have those big brands. So whether you're dealing with Chase, Barclays, Fidelity, mm -hmm. all of these types of brands, yeah. they seem to be becoming less, or Crypto.com as a brand seems to be elevating itself as a brand above these other brands. Sure. Yeah. If you watch that now, it's it's less so. Now, of course, people will always trust the blue logo that's on the top of their bank that they've been banking with for 30 years, of course. Sure. And But it's almost like, you're you're getting into my eye space. You're getting into my consciousness um, more so than me thinking about any bank. I, I I can't remember the last time I thought about opening a bank account. Makes sense. But I've opened crypto accounts, and I know way more about five asset classes 
than I do about the new six one. Okay, mm -hmm. way more. I've been in the investment business for 30 years. I, I, I know this is my world, you know, this one I don't. But I'm loath to expose myself to that kind of stuff. And I notice when I am exposing myself to that kind of stuff in any way, whatever I'm making from that, I'm then moving across mm -hmm. to, right. to buy more of this future new money. So you, it's the the marketing is is clearly working. Yes. All right. It, it's clearly working. So, with that great brand mar uh, marketing strategy that you've got, okay, and this brand initiative you've got, getting out there, you're trying to convince not not the people that are already sold. Are you trying to get the people that don't yet have a crypto account to work with? onto your books or are you trying to take them away from other people to use your service and the reason i ask that is that i have a binance account okay and again i've been in the investment space for a long time i know how it works but your average joe wouldn't have a clue how to use that like wouldn't have a clue he'd have to go and watch four hours of videos on youtube <laughs> just to work out how to buy a blooming <laughs> you know do you know what i mean though i do i do yeah so are you trying to are you trying to steal those people away because your platform's really user-friendly it's really easy to engage with it's not it's, you know, it's, it's not gamified but it is a little bit it's, it's fun to use it okay right. as opposed to you know and I'm, i'll say binance because i'm allowed to i know you're not you know but i'm allowed to binance confuses the hell out of most people and it did me at first Right. So are you trying to get the clients from those types of places or do you just want, do you just want the people that are coming in for the first time? Um, you know, I, I think the, I, I think the answer is even broader than that. Um, you know, I've had, you know, recruiting is massive, right? Like when I got to crypto.com and I tried to put a team together, like not only people didn't say no, they just didn't reply to me. Right. Cause <laughs> you know, they're just like, what is this crypto thing? Whatever. Right. And today, like I've had people join the company, some of them who've been in the industry who said, I've been in this industry for six years, and this is the first time my parents not only knew the company that I was joining, they were proud that I was joining that company, Ooh. right? So it's completely changed recruiting for us. Then there are the people who are building this industry. I want them to look at us, and even if they're not going to work with us, we, we have a VC arm, we have a $500 million uh, VC arm called Crypto.com Capital, which if there's any uh, entrepreneurs out there, you go to Crypto.com slash capital, and, and you can contact us there. You know, we want those people to come to us. We want them to bring their projects to us. We want to be able to support the industry. Um, we want them to look at us, whether or not they work with us, and say, they're representing the industry well. Because we feel like we, we, we feel and we know we lead the industry. Right? We're one of the most, it depends on the day, but we're one of, if not the most regulated platform. And we really believe in regulation. Right? We want to work with the governments around the world to create frameworks in which provide consumer protection and provide clarity for businesses in terms of where we're going to invest and go. So even for them, the way we behave and the way we do, the, you know, I want to attract them to us. I want to attract everybody to us. When it comes to people in the industry who are traders and maybe use other platforms, you know, there's a number of reasons why they may or may not switch. But the reality is that most people have never used crypto. And so to answer your very direct question, I'm more focused on the people who have not come into crypto yet. And it may take them a few months. It may take them a few years. You know, and you're right that the strategy has been working in in. March of 2021, we had about 10 million users, and by April of 2022, we had about 50 million, five zero, so five x the the business at a very large scale. Not normally easy to do, uh, but we did it, and and we continue to see a really rapid growth rate. So we are able to attract people today, but I'm very much focused on the people who are going to come in 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 three years from now, right? And it's for those people who, as you said before, are going to see us and say, those people make bold moves. They are doing things and they're lasting, right? Putting your name on a building for 20 years, the, the behavior of doing that, right? And bearing the name crypto, right? Like that's part of the, the reaction of, you know, people see the word crypto, forget about the dot com, but they see the word crypto and it reframes for them, wait, this is acceptable, right? There's a real business here. Mm -hmm. And they might not be ready for three years from now, but in three years, they're going to come to us. I think when you open lots of accounts, so Eric, Eric, when he was on the show with us, he said the goal by the end of 2022 was to get to 100 million. And uh, I checked in with Stuart a little while ago. He told me you're at the 50 million mark because I didn't believe it when he said it. I nearly fell off my chair. He said we're at 10 million now and uh, the goal's to have that. And I was like, 
all right, mate, you know, just what a load of nonsense. I couldn't believe it. But then to see those numbers, that just blew me away. Yeah. But people opening up accounts and people funding accounts are two different things. Sure. And I think that you don't offer any advice at all. You're literally an exchange, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And so getting people to commit, I, I've always learned over the years, if you get somebody to commit something small, okay, they can build their trust, they can get comfortable. Like we you joked around with the $500 earlier, yeah. whatever that, a small amount of money, they can then see how the system works, they can get comfortable, they know how to get money onto it and all that kind yeah. of stuff and, and out. Then you can build yeah, that yeah, trust and getting it out, right? Like this product changed the game for a lot of people because anywhere that well, we didn't change the game for me because I've got a green one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just has some slightly better benefits and, and it's the, the black. It's way too late now, but I'm already feeling the pain. But you you could go to any ATM in the world that accepts Visa and withdraw fiat that that ATM dispenses. You can go to any business in the world and that accepts Visa and spend your crypto. And for a lot of people, you know, it was hard to get your money in. And if you can get your money in, it was almost impossible to get it out. And this was one of the first innovations of the company and really focusing on how do we make the user experience better and how do we as a company represent that bridge, right? Because there has to be this transition, right? It's not going to be like a switch. Not everybody's going to move over to crypto overnight. And so products like this, and like you said, making it very user-friendly allows people to come in at their do you, pace. Do you, do you know that there's a lot of people that complain about not being able to get money on the platform easily? Mm -hmm. Okay, in my community. It, it depends on, people's on, on the region. People's challenge is getting money into the platform. Mm -hmm. And I, I struggle to get money onto your platform. My it dep my depends where do. you live. It depends where you live. Where I live here. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, but like in, in places like you know the United States, you can do direct deposit from your employer. So like your paycheck, like when you, when the paycheck goes to your bank, you can pre-assign that that your employer direct deposits it into your crypto.com account. Wow, in fiat. So in the U.S. Yeah, but here we are in the Middle East. The reality of the situation is we this this whole system needs to be really easy for us. So I think it's going to change very soon. We, we've got, we've gotten our in principle approval mm -hmm. uh, from Vara, and um, I'm optimistic after uh, spending this week here that uh, we will get our full license soon. I ap appreciate the um, the eagerness of people to want to do it, but you know, as I said before, as a as a regulated business and as a company that uh, really would prefer to comply with local regulations rather than take the Uber route of just flaunt local laws and let let governments try to sue you uh, to get you to behave the right way. Yeah. Um, we'd rather uh, forego growth and speed today um, in order to work well with local governments. And so fiat rails getting getting local currency into the platform it's it's a serious thing that governments take seriously and you have to be you have to be right that's why like banks have the right to manage that and others don't um and so you know the crypto industry is a new industry and and they're you know varo was was set up i think very smartly by by, by the uae to say hey and specifically dubai to say hey this is a new financial structure so we should create a new organization to regulate it and manage it um and it's a pretty new organization so i think Dubai has been moving incredibly fast, and then the UAE more broadly. Um, but still, you know, they, they should take the time they need to get comfortable with this new asset class and create the rules around it, and then everyone will run forward fast. Tell me what you think of Dubai. Do you think it's going to be the crypto center of the universe? It seems to be popular for that. I, I think it'll be one of them. I don't. I mean, I, I would say <laughs> um, native to the to the industry, it's, it's about decentralization. So I don't know that there'll be one place, but I'm, I'm a big believer in cities. You know, I'm, I'm a lifelong New Yorker, but lived many, many years in Singapore now um, and Hong Kong before that. Like there's something special about cities, about being able to go to a cafe and bump into people and have casual conversations and constantly meet people who are thinking about the industry, but in different ways and then thinking about other industries, right? And, and Dubai, I mean, more generally, is one of the most fascinating places on earth from my perspective just seeing how far they've come and how quickly uh, you know they've had such a clear commitment to to talent and developing talent and attracting talent and and really that's what it is right like like why is silicon valley interesting there's nothing special in the water it's it's the constant influx of new blood and new ideas um and the, and the intermingling of those Right. And, and the combination of new ideas and funding for those ideas and universities to provide space for research. 
all of those things combined to to just make a fountain of just amazing things that change the world. And every major city in the world has that, that constant mixing of people and ideas and money. It's, it's almost like this is a this is this is like the crypto industry, this city. Mm-hmm. Because it's established in 1971, so I'm one year older than the country, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me feel mega old. But if you think everything really in real terms has been the last 17, 18 years you yeah. know, that, that, that everything's happened. And if you look at crypto, that's you know a little bit less and maybe it's 12, 13 years that that's really started to happen. Mm-hmm. And everyone said at the beginning about Dubai, that's not going to happen, that's not going to work. Who wants to live 100%. in the desert? Yada, 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 there's dictatorship and all this kind of stuff. And... And again, I don't know what they were thinking that day. They sat down with a pen and a pencil and they said, why don't we build a palm tree in the middle of the ocean? And, Unbelievable. and you know, why don't we build a bunch of islands in the shape of the world and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but everyone laughed and everyone said, you know, don't do that. That's, you know, I wouldn't go there. That's not the right thing to do. And yet this has become, in my, in my opinion, the, the modern day gold rush. This is San Francisco all those years ago because people are coming here because they want to build a future Mm -hmm. and they're optimistic and you don't have that kind of cynical negative mindset here people want to progress because there's no real social security you can't not have a job and live here unless you got money that's right so you you got to be you got to be up for the challenge Mm -hmm. and that to me is a little bit like the 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 upstarts of crypto in the early days they were just like well not even early days today too i mean and this it's it's funny what what you're saying connects to to our our brand campaign and our brand line fortune favors the brave you know it's 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 that kind of mindset it's that and that's what you know fortune favors the brave is not a veneer the brand is not a veneer on top Mm -hmm. of something of chipboard It, it is part of the core Right. It's how we see the world. It's how when we come to work every day, it's a mantra that we feel. Right. And, and it's and it's a mantra that people in this industry feel. Right. And where does it come from? It's, you know, there's a path you can walk on that's well trodden, that's well worn. But the end is predictable. And or and if it's not predictable, it, it might lead you off the cliff. You don't know. But, you know, people who understand fortune favors the braver for whom that resonates they see that path and they see everybody walking on that path and they say, I got to get off this path. Mm. Either because I'm just not comfortable following everybody else or because they say, I don't think this is a great path. Maybe it was great 20 years ago, but today there's, I'm going to make a better path. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I may fail trying because you're right. I'm not an expert in making something new, but nobody is because by definition it's new. It hasn't been done yet. So I'm going to try and I would rather live a life trying and failing than live a boring life of just following the path. It's not for everybody. And, and, and I'm not criticizing the people who want to follow the path. But if you're going to start a new industry like we have, and if you're going to really you know, lead from the front, you, know, you got to be ready to take chances and make mistakes and, and figure it out along the way. Because we have a vision of what the next iteration of the internet will look like. Mm-hmm. And we think it'll be better for everybody. It'll really go back to the core of what the internet was, right? which is that you own your digital rights and that you can connect with people without having to go through a filter that can shut you down or, or, or make decisions that don't work for you. Um, like we want to see that future, but you got to build it, right? And just because we have it in here doesn't mean it's ready to work yet. There are pieces of it that are ready to work, but it's going to take time for that transition. And so just like uh, how Dubai started, right, where they said, we're going to turn the desert into something amazing. Uh, yeah, everybody said, what are you talking about? And God bless them for trying. Right. And, and look at what they did. And it, success wasn't, you know, predestined right, or preordained. Like they had to come work through a lot and they're still working through things. Right. I mean, I look at what happened here through COVID and it's incredible. Oh. It, it conti- like it, I haven't been here since the beginning of COVID. This is my first time back in several years. And the continued development and just the growth of the population. And it's just it's unbelievable. What COVID? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I've got a couple of questions from my audience. Okay. okay. And one of the questions they asked was, why did you choose Matt Damon for your uh, campaign and not Spencer? Not Spencer? Me. Oh, you. Yeah. So that was, that was from. <laughs> that was a hard decision, but your, your agent was very. Uh... <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's clear to me that it should have been somebody else. But anyway. What people really want to know, okay, once they understand everything, what they really want to know is, can I safely put my money in this place? Can I can I make money? 
and how should I look at investing? Now, I believe that if anybody's going to invest into a volatile asset class of anything, then they need to understand the volatility that exists. And they also need to understand that this isn't a game uh, for people to put money in and take money out tomorrow. I say to everybody, buy it, buy some every month and just leave it there. Okay, and if you only remember the name Ethereum and Bitcoin and the other ones you don't, then just do that, buy a bit of that every month and just leave it there. Because I truly believe it would be the best performing investment that they make. It's hard for you to say, I know you're a marketer and I know that it's a terrible situation, but you will be asked this all the time, won't you? It's common in your industry because you're crypto people for these people to be asking you what's going to happen. We're going through a bit of a crypto winter at the moment, as people would say. We've seen NFTs have all the buzz at the beginning of last year and they've all fallen off a cliff or a lot of them have. You've seen a lot of these coins like Luna, that even the 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 market makers were were backing then fall off a cliff and everything go horribly yeah, wrong right. you have you know there's people out there that were respected that went yeah get get some get some luna you also have um a lot of people a lot of people so they say in the press that lost a lot of money when it came off of off of its highs down to where it is now mm-hmm. so a lot of people be scared They'd be like, you know, is this really the future of money? Look, look, look at how dangerous it is. What do you say to people when you're sat at a dinner table and people say to you, who do you work for? And you say crypto.com and they go, let me ask you a question about that. What do you, what, what's your, your general response? So first of all, it's important to remember that it is a new industry, right? And, and the winners aren't yet picked. Yet, as you said, um, it is unlikely that established industries will see the returns over the next few years that a new industry would. Now, again, not investment advice. Um, but yes, it's it's a risky asset class because of how new it is, because the size of the market in terms of individual participants isn't as big as other markets. And so, yeah, it'll take time. Um, you know, what you recommended is known in the industry as HODL, right? Just, just like buy it and hold and mm-hmm. wait. Um, you know, some of the things that we've done and that I tell people is go to crypto.com slash university where we've been investing a lot this year in education where again, it's not, we're not giving investment advice, but we're trying to make it really easy for people to understand their options. So there are grid trading strategies, right? And then there are high frequency trading strategies. There's a lot of different strategies that you can apply. And, and we focus as a company on building the tools that allow you to execute the strategy that's right for you. But like you said, you should research it. You should probably only invest what you can afford to lose because of how new the industry is. At the same time, it's important to remember, and again, that's what I was saying before, where I've seen these cycles happen a few times. Like, mm-hmm. like I started playing with the internet in the early 90s when you know, Internet Explorer didn't exist. And you know, I, I remember downloading software on a 14.4 modem to make a CD-ROM play music. A friend of mine, his, his dad got a, a new computer and had a CD-ROM. Uh-huh. And none of us had CD, like we still had audio cassettes. But I remember seeing that CD-ROM and I was like, can that play music? And, you know, we were kids, but we didn't understand, was it a hardware or a software problem? I remember like going to a bulletin board system and, and like asking the question, like we put in like the model number and everything. We're like, does this, does anybody know if this can play music? Because we've tried, we've put in music, but, but like nothing happens. And so someone replies, no, you dummies, you need the software to play the music. All CD, you know, it's just it's just zeros and ones with a laser, but you need software to read the, the zeros and ones. And we said, where do we get this software? And like two weeks later, someone uploaded the software and was like, here, you could download it. And it took like four days on a 14.4 modem. We downloaded it and it was like magic, right? And it happened like, like, we, like we had a question and we asked the internet yeah. and someone answered it and provided the software and we downloaded it and then we solved the problem. And you know, that was like 1995, 94 or something like that. And I remember sitting there and being like, this is unbelievable, what do I do with this, right? And then you saw the dot-com boom and then the bust. And then you look today, some of the biggest companies today started in like 2000, like after the bust, mm-hmm. right? So I think of crypto in very much that same sort of like the way that the internet sort of came and you know there's hype and then a lot of companies fail but then you know some of them like amazon and netflix who started in the 90s you know are today some of the biggest companies on earth um, and then you have companies like twitter and facebook and 
you know, even TikTok, like, you know, they started only like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. right? They're still relatively new companies and they were built in the ashes of the dot-com bubble bursting, mm-hmm. right? People didn't stop building. So, and, and, you know, if you invested in those companies or if you were part of it, if you were working at those companies and all the other companies that went defunct, right? So many ideas. So that's the crypto space today, right? We've seen a few booms and it's gone up and down. And that's, as we were saying earlier, success is not a straight line. It goes up and down. And if you have money to lose and you want to expose yourself to an asset class that I believe will grow over time, then yeah, it's, it's for you. But if you don't, you should probably stay away. If you can't afford to lose the money you're putting, you should probably stay away. Did you have a mentor? Do you have a mentor? Do you believe in mentoring? How do you get your inspiration? How do you you know move forward with your creativity and your personal development? How does it work for you? It's interesting. I've, I've thought about that question a lot. There was a time in my career when I, or my life, when I thought I needed a mentor and I was frustrated that I didn't have an explicit mentor someone who I could call for advice and someone who I could ask ask for advice and someone to get you know almost be like a life coach and, and push yeah. me forward um, but something that sort of I came around to in the last few years is that it, if you just ask that you don't a mentor can be one individual or it can be a collection of individuals mm-hmm. who come into your life at the right time and and that's and, and then also thinking about my parents right like you know, while my parents weren't explicit mentors, um, you know, they, for me, they led by example. And so while at times I was like, why don't I have a mentor? Because I've never had an explicit mentor. Um, I actually look back and just the right people came into my life and I was lucky enough, not smart enough, but lucky enough to have paid attention um, and, and, and get little nudges from them. When you think about a company that's dynamically moving forward, I suppose you're surrounded by by other fast-paced, fast-moving, fast-thinking people. So that must be almost like a bit of a drug on its own. Mm -hmm. But lots of people work in kind of boring companies that aren't really doing much and aren't really evolving that much. And it's, it's almost like they're not stagnating, but they're not moving forward at any great rate. When I think about those types of people, what are they going to do? Because I believe that they would need to get mentored. You know, if you're depressed, you go and see a, you know, your therapist, don't you? If you've got something wrong, you go and see the doctor. If you want to grow and evolve, okay, but you don't know how, you've got to find that answer from someone. You know, it's you got to be curious, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the podcast. You know, again, while not an explicit mentor, you know, like podcasts, even like this one, right? Someone who's interested will tune in and they'll find the right people, right? And, and they'll listen, that someone will say something that just tr- triggers something for them and then they can go down that rabbit hole. And I mean, th- th- that's the beauty today is that you can learn anything, right? Like, like th- th- that's anybody who feels stuck, it's just like, go and just go to YouTube. Anything you wanna know, it's there, right? And it's amazing to watch kids today who just naturally do that. I mean, my nine-year-old daughter, you know, she wants to figure out how, like, it's, it's, she doesn't need to think about it. Like, if she sees something and she's curious, she just goes to YouTube and just does a search and, she, and then she'll watch the video and then she'll try to do it. It's been good talking to you. I really appreciate you being really candid and open with me because this could have this could have easily been a kind of like a very corporate conversation where we talked about you know your corporate <laughs> rules and policies and procedures and stuff. And I just think that that people see through that. People don't and people don't want that. They they don't mind that for one minute on the news. But what they actually want to know is the real people behind businesses. They want to understand how you got to where you got, why you do what you do, what excites you, what motivates you. And I think Steve, you've been really open and you shared that with us today really nicely. And uh, and I think a lot of people listening and watching to this right now gonna walk away going hold on a minute maybe i should be calling crypto.com and see what job opportunities <laughs> just out of interest if somebody really wanted to work at an organization like yourself what kind of ingredients do you look for in candidates one of the most important things is uh is and this is i don't know it's said in a lot of job posts but being self-sufficient and being a self-starter and but we're still a startup we're a six-year-old company. We're not, you know, like we're still figuring things out. And many people coming into the company, the job they're doing, they're the first one to do that job. Wow. Which is unlike other, it's, they're not the first one to do that job ever. They're the first one to do that job ever at crypto.com. Mm-hmm. And so when people come in, you know, we want to find people who are comfortable creating the role, right? And who are comfortable bringing in their experience from the outside, but not bringing in the book of this is how it's done over there and doing it here, right? 
people who are re- like like that's probably the number one ingredient is that if you can come in and and approach the job as hey I don't just need to you know fill in boxes I need to actually create the boxes that need to be filled in uh, that's probably the number one one thing. Mm. Great, great advice. Steve Kalifowitz, thank you very much for coming to join us on the show today. Cheers, Thank you for having me.